Sometimes we like to think about what would we do if it was our last day on earth. There are movies that are made about this. Uh, again, books that are made about this question. What if, what if Jesus was coming back tomorrow and you knew that? Now, of course, nobody knows the, the time or day that he's coming. But if, if somehow you knew that Jesus was coming back, or let's say that it was your last day on earth, what would you do differently? How would you live your life? What changes would you make in that 24-hour period knowing that Christ was returning or you were going to die? What's interesting is this question was actually asked to John Wesley, uh, one of the founders of the Methodist Church, and uh, as he was answering, he pulled out a journal and opened it and shared his answer with the person who was asking. Many times the way that we think about the end affects how we live our lives. And we're going to see a little bit of encouragement in Daniel chapter 8 today on maybe how we should live our lives in light of the end. Let's read through Daniel chapter 8 together. You can follow along silently as I read through the text, and then we will go through verse by verse, Lord willing, and maybe understand this text today and maybe by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit know how to apply it to our lives. Daniel chapter 8 beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. Verse 7, I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns, and the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars, it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. 
And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw down to the ground and it will act and prosper. Verse 13, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. Verse 18, and when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall rise, arise from this, from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall ri- arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. Verse 25, By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and mornings that is been told is true, but seal it up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision, and I did not understand it. Many of us, at the end of what Daniel says there when he says he did not understand it, would say, amen. (laughs) The thing is, if Daniel doesn't understand it, or at least some of it, oh man, What chance do we have today? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. He's the one who inspired it. He's the one that dwells inside of us and can help us to at least understand some of what's going on here and how to apply it to our lives. In verse 1, it says that this is the third year of the reign of Belshazzar in verse 1. A vision appeared to Daniel. So we have another vision coming to Daniel, just like last week. If you were not with us last week, we were in Daniel chapter 7, a glorious chapter that's at the center of the book of Daniel and I would argue is important for all of Scripture. It is referred to many, many times throughout Scripture. We saw that there were these great beasts that came out in Daniel chapter 7. And these beasts represented these kingdoms that would last from this time, the Babylonians, all the way till the end. 
This was similar to what we saw in Daniel chapter 2 with the statue of Nebuchadnezzar's dream spanning across time. But what's interesting in Daniel chapter 8 is it hones in more on two of these kingdoms in particular. Daniel chapter 7, we cannot forget about it because it was in that chapter that we saw that no matter what the beasts do, no matter who the beasts are, no matter what dominion they think they have, the Ancient of Days sits on his throne and the Son of Man sits on his throne. And so we should not fear. The third year, so two years after that last vision, Belshazzar, which is actually the Babylonian king, that's when Daniel gets this vision, around 550 to 548 B.C. It's right at that same date when Cyrus, the leader of the Persians, links up with the Medes, takes over, and that becomes the Medo-Persian Empire. Notice what Daniel says. King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which to me appeared to me at first, referring back to the last chapter. So we got to keep chapter 7 in our minds. Verse 2, And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw a vision, and it was at Ulai Canal. How many of you like to visit there? One thing that we're seeing here is in the last vision, Daniel was in heaven. This one, he's on a place in earth. Last time there were these crazy looking beasts. This time it's going to be a ram and a goat. The author seems to be intentional here. God seems to be intentional in giving this vision for it to look more real to Daniel. Sometimes if things are pretty crazy and there's a lot of imagery, a lot of times we can't understand it and it feels distant from us. This vision is going to feel very real to Daniel and that's part of why we receive it. Susa the citadel is actually going to be the the capital of the empire that's coming, the Medo-Persian empire. That's part of the imagery that's going there. That's why Daniel's taken there. Babylonian empire is gone. Even though this is happening, this vision is happening during the Babylonian empire, you'll remember that when the chapter we looked at, Belshazzar with the writing on the wall, remember he offered to Daniel, you could be third in the kingdom if you will interpret this for me. Well, Daniel had already had these visions. He knew what was coming. He wasn't interested And that, the Babylonian Empire is gone, so we're at Susa when Daniel gets this vision, and it's the capital of the Medo-Persian Empire, the one that's coming next. So let's see more what the vision says. I raised my eyes, and I saw, behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. And it had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did just as he pleased and became great. Well, what's helpful here is if you will just scan down, scan down in your Bibles, down to verse 20. This was the interpretation of the dream. So we're going to read this verse or two to you that helps us. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns that we just read about, these are the kings of the media, media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king. So now we know answers to what we're about to read. Go back up. As he raises his eyes, he sees 
This great ram standing on the bank has the two horns. One's larger than the other one. Probably the Persian Empire taking over from the Medes. The higher one came up last. And this ram, guess what this gets to do? Because God has allowed it, it gets to rule over everywhere. The biggest kingdom to come yet. No beast could stand before him. That's because the Lord raises up nations and puts down nations. In the vision in Daniel chapter 7, we saw this was a bear, and it was kind of, kind of crooked, which is kind of the same idea of these two horns, one being larger than the other one. No one could be rescued from this power. He did as he pleased, but then he became great. You know what that means in the language there, he became great? He thought he was great. That doesn't go well. Just as a way of encouragement. The Apostle Paul, if you look in your notes here, In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, the Apostle Paul, speaking about apostles and how they became apostles, he says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You see what Paul's saying there? Every single thing that you have, that I have, that this ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire has, comes from whom? God, everything that you have is given to you. So if everything you have is given to you, how can you boast? Answer, you can't. I'm sure none of you struggle with pride, correct? That's the very root of what's going on. We're thinking that there's something great about us and we lift ourselves up where ultimately everything we have is a gift from God. So this is just a side note, a little extra in the sermon for you. Anytime you want to battle pride, memorize this verse and be reminded there is nothing that I have that's not from God. So humble me, Lord. Just a little side note there. Continue on in the passage. Medo-Persians get to run everywhere. He thinks he's great. And then his time is up. Verse 5, as I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. Whoa. Remember, we're in apocalyptic literature, which means it's a lot of symbols and things not to be taken literally. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between its eyes. Can you just picture this thing? And he came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke its two horns. Both kingdoms went down. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power, and the, the goat became exceedingly great. That's an interesting phrase there. Great. Why is that the case? Well, as we read below, this is the kingdom of Greece. And this seems to be talking about Alexander, the first king. And he came and he conquered the world, pretty much all of it by the age 26. Man, some of y'all younger folks today can't even make your bed at 26 yet. <laughs> he conquered most of the known world. That's the idea of him coming and the feet not touching the ground. This would be from the previous chapter, chapter the lep leopard with the four wings, four heads. Quickly comes through and conquers everything. 
But watch this. Watch this. Alexander the Great, maybe the, the best leader of all time when it comes to warfare. Verse 8, then the, great, the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the horn was broken. Suddenly, just like that, he lived to be 33. Was killed, not by another person, but by a sickness. Do you know who decides sicknesses and life and death? God does, ultimately. Our times are in his hands. Alexander was used by God as an instrument. He took over the known world and then put down, and he gets one verse. That's what he gets. But instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. This seems to be, there's some debate here, discussion, but this seems to be four generals who came up after Alexander. At first, his sons inherited the kingdom, and then there was a lot of betrayal and murder and other things that go on inside of kingdoms. So I'm told, not part of a kingdom myself in that sense. They're killed, four generals come up, and they have the kingdom divided into four parts. That seems to be what's happening. And there's so much accuracy here when it comes to what happened historically that liberal scholars will say that there's no way Daniel was written when it was written. It had to be written much later because it's too accurate. Well, as we've said before, duh. <laughs> it's the word of God. Amen. So now you have these four kings, if you will, reigning over four parts of the kingdom. And in one of those parts... There's going to rise up somebody else. One of those parts in particular was over the jurisdiction of the Jews and their homeland. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and towards the glorious land, towards Jerusalem. It grew great even to the host of heaven, and some of the host... And some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. What is going on here? That language is tough. Basically, you have probably three options as you interpret this, and we need to leave grace for those who may disagree with each other. Number one, this is speaking about the host when it comes to God's people, perhaps the military of God's people, that they were trampled and thrown down. When it comes to the prince of the host, it could be the high priest who was murdered by this ruler. Historically, that matches up. But it may also be, because we're in apocalyptic literature, symbolic language, meaning that it appears that this one is even overthrowing the angels and even possibly God is what it may look like. Why would it look that way? Well, who this is referring to is Antiochus Epiphanes, I would argue. And he was the ruler over that section of the kingdom. And you want to talk about evil. This guy was evil. He killed at least forty to 60,000 Jews he said no more circumcision allowed. He burned every scroll he could find of the Torah. And anyone who had one or tried to hide it, they would kill. 
He went in and he stole all the things out of the temple because by this time the temple had been rebuilt. He also took a pig and sacrificed it on the altar in the temple. In addition, he took something that was used in the worship of Zeus and went into the Holy of Holies and put it in there. That's God's place on earth. He was evil and hurt many of God's people. Now, can he truly overthrow our God? No. But the language could be here trying to show that that's what he was trying to do. His name, or what he titled himself, means God manifest. Can you believe that? He would be what many would call a antichrist. And as I said to you before, I believe that there are many of antichrists, as John says. Ultimately pointing to probably one antichrist who's coming, but this seems to be talking about specifically this guy. Why? Remember what was promised to Daniel and to the Jews. They were going to go into captivity, and Jeremiah 25 says they were going to be there for 70 years. Guess what? The time is about up. So the idea that there would be more of this coming must have been very hard for Daniel. We're supposed to be released. Well, they were released. God worked in the Persian king's heart and told them, oh, you know what, Jewish people, you should go back to your land. We're going to give you gold and jewels. Go back and build your temple. God worked in a pagan king's heart to do that. And they went back. The problem was they went right back to their old ways. Do you know what I mean by old ways? I mean going back to doubting God. Going back to worshiping other things, other things being idols in our lives. Going back to worshiping maybe things like money material goods, pride. They went back, they got their promised land back, they were able to build the temple and they still disobeyed God. And so hundreds of years later, this vision is saying, there's people coming to judge God's people again. And so they come through and they do terrible things to God's people to where, yes, God's people were killed, the high priest was murdered, those things took place. But it may also be just showing that from the way we're looking at it, how could God allow him to set up something in the Holy of Holies? It looks like he's even overcoming God. But don't worry. It grew great even to the host of heaven, verse 10 again. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as the great, great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him in the place of the sanctuary overthrown. He even outlawed sacrifices. And a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of the transgression. I believe that means the transgression of God's people in particular. And it will throw truth to the ground, meaning the burning of the Torah. And it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking and the other, uh, to another holy one. It said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offerings and the transgression that makes desolate and the giving over the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? How long, O Lord? How long are you going to allow this? The two angels were talking, but what's interesting is it seems to be for Daniel's benefit. Because verse 14 says this, And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. It will happen for a season. A lot of debate on those numbers there. Is that just kind of a symbolic number? 
If you were to actually go the evenings and mornings, that kind of goes back to Genesis with the, the, how the days are created. It could be the evening and morning sacrifices. A lot of possibilities with that number, 2,300. It's right short of seven years. We don't know exactly what is going on there, but what we can tell from the passage is it is a set time that God is going to allow this, and then he's going to end it. But God's people will cry out, How long, O Lord? When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand. Daniel's like, I I really wanted to see what's going on here. This looks crazy. I thought we were going to be out of this thing in 70 years. Now we got this guy coming through, and he's going up even against the host and the prince. How is this possible? And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. God seemingly telling Gabriel, this is one of the only times angels are mentioned in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael are the only two, apart from the argument about Lucifer, who would be the devil, and whether that's actually his name or not, but as far as angels go, Michael and Daniel are the only two mentioned. I'm sorry, Micah and Gabriel. Verse 17, so he came near where I stood, and when he came to me, I was frightened and I fell on my face. Just so you know, angels are not little fat babies with wings playing harps or whatever. It's not what they look like. Stop sending those in your Christmas cards. So you have, listen, you have permission. Anytime somebody sends you a picture like that, you can write back and say, that's not biblical. You get to do that. You have freedom. That's right. That's not biblical. Because you wouldn't fall down like this. <laughs> I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. This vision is for the time of the end. I don't believe this means the end of all things. It's the end of this transgression, the end of this season in particular among the Greeks. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. How many of us, when we receive terrible news, we run to sleep to avoid it? Some of you do that. Seems to be what Daniel might be doing here. It's just so overwhelming. But he touched me and made me stand up. When God's about to tell you things, you don't need to go to sleep. You need to be awake. He said, behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, this particular time, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw, which we read before, with the two horns, these are the kings of the medium, medium Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king, probably Alexander, like we said. Verse 22, as for the horn that was broken, in the place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall rise out of this nation, but not with this power. Not going to be as strong as Alexander was, but those four kingdoms seem to be there. And at the latter end of their kingdom, that one, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, the one who understands riddles, shall arise. This is the one that we were just talking about, this little horn. Anytime we see horns, kings, kingdoms, probably Antiochus. His power shall be great, but watch this, but not by his own power. Who allows it? God does. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. As I told you, he did. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become, what's it say? And there you go. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall rise up even 
against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken. But by no human hand. Antiochus died of a terrible disease that it ate him from the inside out, and he went crazy. No human hand will destroy him, but God will. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. This vision is true, Daniel, but you need to protect it. That's the language there. Seal it up, protect it, because it's going to refer to many days from now. This is going to be hundreds of years till this actually takes place. I believe that's what's being taught here. So what do we get from this? Because that's an interesting history lesson. Verse 27 has just about everything for us. Look at 27. Last verse in the text. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I arose and I went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. Daniel did not understand all that was going on. It hadn't happened yet. It was in this kind of crazy apocalyptic visions and he didn't understand all of it and he lay sick. Friends, this is what I want to tell you. It is okay if you don't understand everything that's going on around you. It's okay if you don't understand everything that's bad that's going on in your life right now. It's okay if you don't understand the sicknesses that you have right now. It is okay if you do not understand all of it. That's okay. And it's actually okay for you to lay sick a little bit. It's okay for you to be discouraged and saddened by what is happening. It's okay for you to look around the world and go, this is sad. It doesn't take away Daniel chapter 7, that the Ancient of Days is on his throne, that the Son of Man is on his throne, and one day he's coming back. It doesn't change that. That's true. But guess what? When we zoom in, just like this chapter did, all of creation and, and all of history, and it zooms into these two kingdoms, and Daniel is seeing God's people killed. He's seeing God's people. He's seeing the temple just mistreated. Things set up in the Holy of Holies where God's presence is supposed to be for the worship of Zeus and sacrificing an unclean animal like a pig on the altar destroying the word of God. It's okay to grieve that, friends. You can grieve those things. In fact, we probably should be grieving those things. We don't lose the deep joy that we have knowing about Daniel chapter 7 and the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, but it's okay to be sad. But you can't stay there. You can't stay there. What does Daniel do? He lays sick for multiple days, and then he gets up, and he gets about the king's business. He was still, not highly ranked at this time under Belshazzar, but still had a role to play. And guess what? If he was still living, that means God still had things for him. Amen? Amen. Friends, it's okay if you don't understand everything happening to you or all around you or to others. It's okay if these things make you sad. But your job is to weep, to mourn, to look back at Daniel 7 and the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, and your job is to get up and get to the King of Kings business. That is what we have to do. Because we know the long-term plan. We know how it is overall. Some of you 
are asking, how long, O Lord, is it going to keep going like this? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Make no mistake, there is an end like we've seen throughout the passage. And he will not let you go beyond that. He will not take it to a point that you will not survive. But I promise you this, he will take it to a point that you get beyond yourself. The old phrase which we've talked about before, God won't give you anything more than you can handle. That is a dumb phrase. You do not get to use that phrase if you believe the Bible. He will give you a lot more than you can handle so that you will cry out to him. And as you cry out to him, you do what John Wesley said he would do. Remember I started in the beginning, John Wesley. What would you do if the the end of the world was coming or Jesus was coming back, you're about to die. What would you do with that one last day? What would you do? And he pulled out the journal, which was actually his schedule. And he said, well, that's four o'clock. I'd have tea. And he went right down his schedule and said what he would do. Friends, it doesn't change anything. We're to be faithful till he comes back. And that doesn't mean that you need to, well, I'm going to sell everything and run to the ends of the earth. If you're supposed to do that, do that anyway. Don't do it because you think he's coming back tomorrow. What he wants to find us being is faithful with the things that he's given us. So whatever he has given to you, the king of kings business, that's what you need to do each and every day. Don't change it just because you, you think he's coming back. No, 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 no. If you have to change it, then you're doing something wrong already. Live your life as you're supposed to. Love your families. Love your neighbors. Share the gospel. Be faithful in the church. Do the things. Drink tea. Drink coffee. Do the things that you're supposed to do to the glory of God. No matter what beast comes, no matter what happens, you be faithful to the things God has for you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you win. And God, we confess that we don't fully understand much. We don't understand the things happening to us. Many times we don't understand the things happening around us. But God, we don't have to. Because you do. And you're the one who is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega the first and the last. And so, Lord, we just trust you that you know what's happening. And even though it seems like evil wins, we know that evil does not. So, God, what we need from you is is help to humble ourselves because everything we have comes from you. Everything we are comes from you. And so, Lord, as we serve, help us to be about your business, even if things are hard around us, help us to be found faithful so that you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen.